start this stupid podcast. Wow, wow, wow. want to say before we start I loved that episode wow and I really was just watching it like wow like a beautiful tapestry of characters and like some of them aren't very fleshed out and like that's okay because they're all part of a a grander design Mm. and I just really appreciate this show so much I know we make fun of it because it's fun too (laughs) but what a great show that said that's beautiful. Any chit to chat? No, that was perfect. Um, well, this episode, titled Three Minutes, was directed by Stephen Williams, our man. May 17th, 2006. Um, Sunday, May 14th. Okay. Basically, what happens when there's a slow week is I'll go to my, my onthisday.com and I'll look at all the days, and usually they have, like, anyone prominent in any field anywhere who died like they'll have it listed and so there's always like a bunch of names and sometimes when i'm like trying to find stuff i will search all those people and so i found this woman ava norvind well first so she was a norwegian mexican actress she was norwegian but she was just she got famous in mexico oh so they made a documentary about her, and I watched the documentary. So she was born Ava Chegodeva Sakonskaya, is how I think I would pronounce it. So anyway, she was she was born in Norway. She, I guess, like, started entering beauty pageants at a young age. She was supposedly, like, really bossy. She did beauty pageants. She um, ended up, like, getting into acting. And, like, in the documentary, she describes this, like, awful encounter she had at an audition where, like, they – it was, like, for a nude scene. And so, like, she – described like being naked in an audition in front of like a room full of producers at like 17 years old it was fucked up but eventually she um she moves to canada and then to new york city where she worked as a playboy bunny and a can-can dancer she finished high school in 1964 so she was 20 at this point and then she moved to mexico city she took a bus to Mexico City from New York. (laughs) And she said all she had was $10, which she stole. Mm. 
So she gets to Mexico City and she said she starts begging, like, just wild. Okay, so she starts taking voice lessons and she apparently, like, one of the other students was this famous actor and he wanted to fuck her. So he offered her a role in, I think, a musical or a, or a play. And, um, I don't think they ended up having sex. Maybe they did. It doesn't matter. But <laughs> she was like hypersexualized, um, but like t- totally stole the show. And actually, the lead actress in that play was so mad that she somehow kicked her out. I don't know how an actor kicks another actor out <laughs> of the show, but like apparently that's what happened. Um, and she didn't get to go on for the rest of that run, but it caused so much publicity that they ended up like bringing her back for like the <laughs> next season or the next show. Um, so after that, her career really takes off. She starts getting like supporting roles, uh, which leads to lead roles in films. She becomes um, the Marilyn Monroe of Mexico. Oh, she starts fucking politicians for money. Mm-hmm. She was like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? <laughs> um, oh, a quote I wrote. She said, my body is one thing. My soul is something else. If I can make money off my body, why not do it? Fucking hell yeah. Oh, yeah. She this also rules. She was saying that like she wished that she didn't become famous because she was like, I didn't become famous because I was, like, good at acting. I became famous because, like, I was hot and I took off. Yeah. Um, and she said, fame is dangerous when it's not based in knowledge of your craft. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting lady. She started doing, like, dumb shit for attention, I think. Um, <laughs> like, bathing in public fountains and, like just being weird. Um, She was almost deported after speaking openly about birth control on national television. So like she went into hiding after that and then like subsequently just like retired from acting. Um, And okay, a funny story that from the documentary, there was this um, photographer who I guess was like a, for a newspaper or something. Um, Her boss called her And was like, this woman's about to get deported. Like, I want you to go get pictures of her kicking and screaming to the airport. And then she gets there and Ava Norvind is like, you're the photographer. I told them I wanted a man. (laughs) And then she was like, well, sorry, like, you have me. And then, like, after, like, way later, Ava calls her and is like, I want to be a photographer. I'll be your chauffeur. I'll drive you around. But like, I want to shadow you and I want you to teach me. And she was like, okay. (laughs) Like, what a beautiful friendship. Okay. This was one thing that I was not fully following, but like, she took many lovers. And like, one of the (laughs) weird parts of this movie is like, it's a, okay, so it's a documentary and like, they're interviewing a lot of them. And so she like, is almost like with a new lover every scene. And she's like very, 
I don't know. It's just, it's bizarre. Um, oh, oh, okay. So the next step in her life, she moves to New York to study film at NYU and ends up becoming a dominatrix. <laughs> She starts her own company, which, like, specializes in, like, um, what, how did they put it? Oh, okay. Um, so it was called Toral Associates because her, her dominatrix name was Ava Toral. I don't know why. An umbrella company for counseling, erotic role play, and video production for health-related services. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I mean, that says it all. Um, she also did, like, workshops on bdsm um i want to take that yeah (laughs) (laughs) i guess she worked as like an advisor for an intimacy designer almost not quite but like an intimacy coach or something for movies um and then she died just normal she drowned (laughs) I don't know. They did not say how. They did not say how it happened. I could not find that information Honestly, anywhere. That fits. <laughs> the death has to be mysterious for a woman. Yeah. This layered. Okay. What I ended up doing is I had to get an Amazon Prime add-on, but I'm going to cancel the seven-day trial. So it's called Fandor. So the oh. the um. Documentary is called Didn't Do It For Love. Um, and you need to have a Fandor subscription. <laughs> it has three stars. <laughs> uh, the movie is still Mission Impossible 3. Do you want to guess what the song is? Say by John Mayer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> this was... um. The number one song in the UK. As it should be. Number one in the US is still SOS. Oh, one thing that I will say about Didn't Do It For Love is <laughs> if you are going to watch it, trigger warning, there's like a long section where she's like this dominatrix and she's with a, a client, I guess, and she's using knives. Like she has a knife. And like there's no blood, but like, it is very unsettling to watch. Um, so, yeah. Hello? Is there a little boy? A little boy. I did a... Why was it called three minutes? That's how much time she gave him with Walt. Oh, okay. I don't know if it was in real time. It felt very quick. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it got cut short because they were misbehaving. Oh, yeah. I forgot he was misbehaving. I did a couple of the philosophers for this episode mm. from my master list of relevant people to this show. And I found out that Anthony Cooper is named after Anthony Ashley Cooper, first <laughs> Earl of Shaftesbury. <laughs> And obviously, you know his whole story, so you can immediately draw parallels. Right, right. <laughs> the fuck are yeah, these Yeah, honestly, I'm surprised I didn't think of that. <laughs> we thought he was named after Anderson Cooper. <laughs> Wikipedia refers to this guy as the Lord Ashley and then just Ashley, so that's what we're going to call him. <laughs> 
was an English politician, a founder of the Whig Party, and the patron of John Locke. So if you recall, John Locke was admitted to Oxford at age 20. He earned a bachelor's degree four years later, a master's two years after that. In 1666, Ashley goes... Ooh. Ashley. 666. Yeah, just like... Just like Satan. (laughs) Just like R.L. Stein's Netflix trilogy, Fear Street, part three, colon, 1666. It's this plot. (laughs) In 1666, Ashley comes seeking treatment for a liver infection... And Locke is practicing medicine at Oxford. Apparently Locke was so cool and good at doctoring <laughs> that Ashley convinced him to come live with him. To like join his household retinue, whatever. Hmm. I love this sentence from Wikipedia. Locke had been looking for a career. He's 35 and he's like, God, I love science. <laughs> I guess I'll be a live-in personal physician to a rich politician. Like, he really did not know what was going on <laughs> with his life. <laughs> Apparently, at some point, this liver issue popped up again. And Locke convinced Ashley to get some kind of disgusting surgery that I won't speak about. Okay. And it worked, and Ashley credited Locke forever with saving his life. Wow. Ashley became Lord Chancellor in 1672 at the age of 51. In June of 1675, Ashley was ordered to leave court by the king because of some long and boring political stuff involving Catholics v. Protestants and also religious leaders and their role in the government. It's very complicated. But the point is, he was in and out of favor with court. Which means I think that he wasn't maintaining an expensive household with a whole retinue. So John Locke basically had to move on from being a personal physician and personal secretary. Hmm. But they still work together on publishing treatises and drafting the fundamental constitutions of Carolina, which was concerning the governance of that big-ass new colony. Locke is associated with the Whig Party through Anthony Ashley Cooper. Wikipedia calls Locke an intellectual hero of the Whigs. So that's how those two are connected. Wow. It was Locke's awesome roommate. Did they really, like, write this knowing that they wanted to... Are you saying why the philosophers? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because no one watching the show is getting it. Some of them I understand. Mm. Some of them are apparent, and some of them are like, who the, who knows or cares who that is? Uh-huh. So, yeah, I agree with you. The other one I have is Hugo de Groot. (laughs) This, okay, so I did my own research on Anthony Cooper because everything on Lostpedia was literally like, it was just like, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. And I could tell without reading them. So I had to do work is what I'm trying to say. But Hugo de Groot just listed a bunch of historical facts about this man. Um, and I guess now we'll have to wait and see why this matters to the show. He's a Dutch novelist, philosopher, and jurist. He was involved in the conflict between Dutch merchants whose main interest was free trade and the governors who aimed at forming a modern state. Central figures in the debate were merchant and honorary consul von Oldenbarneveld and the baronial governor Prince Moritz. Moritz advocated the creation of a centralized state and the continuation of the war with Spain. The merchants wanted neither a strong state nor war, both being perceived as harmful to trade. 
This argument was mainly carried out as a philosophical dispute on the question whether the Calvinist dogma of predestination or fate should be revised in honor of an emphasis on free will. That's definitely something that matters to the show. <laughs> De Groot was supportive of the merchant's positions and in 1604, <gasps> the Dutch United East India Company assigned him to produce a jurist expertise which should justify the capturing of Portuguese ships in Indian waters, yet only a part of it was published in 1609 under the title of Mare Liberum, which means the free seas. Mare Liberum's main argument was that water and wind are no product of human labor and therefore cannot be restricted property of someone. His personal motto is in Latin... <laughs> <laughs> In English, it means time is running away, which feels very losty to me. Oh. His last words are, by understanding many things, I have accomplished nothing. <laughs> wow. I don't believe those were his last words. I believe that he was like, someone write this down. Yeah. My last words are going to be like, ow, ow, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> the year he was born is 1583, and the year he died is 1645, so that's like 158, 16, 4. God damn it. There is something here, but I don't understand why any of that was relevant about the Dutch trading. Yeah, I don't know if that... Maybe it will be. If I was just reading this man's Wikipedia, I would understand that it would just tell me a bunch of things, but why is Lostpedia telling me about that? Yeah. I listened to Julie Bowen's episode of Justin Long's podcast. It's called, I think it's called Life is Short with Justin Long. And an absolute delight. Who? Um, Sarah Shepard. Oh. I loved her. Also, she loves Lost. Oh, hell yeah. She said she always made time for it. Like, she would always try to schedule it. So they could bring her back because she loved the show. Oh, my God. Here we go. <laughs> 13 days ago, Michael asks Locke for a gun. Though Locke cooperates, Michael knocks him unconscious and then heads to the computer to receive directions on how to find Walt. Whomever Michael is communicating with tells him to look out for rocks with a big hole in the middle. Jack arrives unexpectedly. Michael confronts him and locks both him and Locke in the armory before setting off to rescue Walt. We cut to today and see Michael secretly burning a piece of paper outside. Michael debates with the other survivors as to who should accompany him to the other's camp. You got a son, Jack? They're dead! I just wrote, I'm so glad they're friends. Who? I don't know. I think I was talking about all of them. <laughs> I was just thinking about how much I love the show. And I was like, I'm so glad that they all met. But I think I was specifically thinking about Sawyer. Because it's like, okay, they're friends again. I don't know. That's the vibe I got this episode. Wow. You had a real time out here. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Flashback to Michael running north. He comes across a new creepy guy we've never seen before. <laughs> Holds him at gunpoint, but uh-oh, Scary Boatman is there too. And Michael ends up getting captured. The 
Other others, the randos, were shooting at Michael as he tried to run, but Boatman said, we need him. <laughs> Bag him quick. Uh, his friends are right behind us. In the present, Michael is super insistent that only certain people be allowed to come find the others. We're going to help you do that, Michael. It's got to be the way I said, man. On the beach, Charlie brings a Dharma kit containing vaccine and a pneumatic injector to Claire for her and Aaron to use. If anyone should have it, you and the baby should. But it's all right. It's a, it's a pneumatic injector. You just... Uh, I gasped when I saw them in a frame together. Yeah! I was like, oh my god, we're yeah. back. <laughs> that felt like a, such a long time coming. So we're back to 13 days ago where we left off and it's Scary Boatman and a few other of the others. And we're back to the episode, The Hunting Party. I think we better head back. And we got to fondly remember the pissy little attitudes from Jack and Locke in that episode. <laughs> and now we're seeing Michael's side of that. Um, and he's alone with the the blue-eyed teen that we're coming to understand is Alex. Uh-huh. And Alex says he's just sending them a message. He has to scare them. He's not going to hurt your friends. And she asks Michael about Claire and the baby. In the present, we learn that Jack and Sawyer are not Irish. And Sawyer mm-hmm. thinks that getting caught in a net is a euphemism. <laughs> That's a very good joke. Yeah. Lock and Echo went out in the middle of the night, but we ain't seen either of them since. Those are the guns, aren't they? Sawyer informs Michael that he recruited Saeed, and Michael is distraught about that. In flashbacks, we've now reached 11 days ago. Get off of me! You got a problem, Michael? Must be a day and night without any rest? Yeah. The problem is I'm tired. Well, I'd offer to knock you out and carry you. Michael is dragged to the other's camp and we see the shitty tents that Michael had described as well as the rocks with a hole. All of these people are dirty, we think. <laughs> What's the deal with the technology they had before, we wonder. The song that plays here is very unique. It's something totally foreign, which is honestly perfect. They're just mm-hmm. being additionally othered. Even like the sound is wrong. Hmm. The random guy from earlier draws Michael's blood. How did he nail a vein yeah, on I don't the know. first try like that? And also it was like in his bicep seemingly. Yeah, I wish that's how people could draw blood for me. <laughs> that guy's my MVP for that. Truly. For being really good at phlebotomy. A woman identifying herself as Miss Clue asks questions about Walt's childhood. I'm obsessed with this woman (laughs) back to today michael directly tells saeed that he's not invited to cool guy gun club this time his excuse is that saeed would only be out for revenge but i kind of think sawyer is out for revenge rather than for walt too because they wrecked his ass yeah totally he almost died of that infection well also at this point they're all out for revenge yeah so or you could say that they all are that was not a good excuse to give saeed Plus, now the show is vaguely setting up that Sawyer might want to avenge Anna's death, which is, like, a stretch. Because she's gone. 
Later, Charlie struggles to construct the church as Vincent approaches with one of the heroin Marys. Charlie follows Vincent. Heroin Mary. <laughs> heroin Mary is my band's name. Charlie follows Vincent back to Sawyer's hidden stash and discovers the other statues. Charlie decides to throw all of them into the sea and Locke observes that Charlie has overcome his demons. That's what Wikipedia says, but I didn't read that scene that way. I didn't really? come out of that thinking, like, phew, we don't have to worry about him anymore. Oh, no. But, like... Although, now that I think about it, maybe that was supposed to be a Charlie's safe now scene so that we would root for a Claire reconciliation Yeah, I later. think so. Anyway, neither he nor Locke have any sort of positive facial expression. Right. <laughs> it was, like, a solemn eye contact. And also, like... Okay, the heroin just came in handy with Libby. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get that you need to do that for you, but like... But like, why does he own the heroin? Yeah. Just because he likes it. Because <laughs> you like it the most. <laughs> you like heroin so much, why don't you marry it? <laughs> marry heroin. <laughs> There's so much baggage between these two at this point, too. Where it's like them making eye contact. I'm it not. It could mean anything. I'm not easily able to understand what's going on. Sawyer decides to fess up um, to how he lost his gun in flagrante. He tells Jack he's about the closest thing he's got to a friend. Yeah. Oh. Elsewhere. We're leaving first thing tomorrow. Back across the island to their camp. Okay. Michael tracks down Kate and Hurley alone so that he can make sure they come back to the other camp with him. He's not successful with Hurley. I actually really like this scene after the fact. Once we find out about the deal with Miss Clue, Michael's behavior in all these scenes rationalizes. It's like everything clicks into focus, which is cool. (laughs) I don't think this episode's very good. What? I'll talk about it later. We flash back to Miss Clue talking to Michael again. She explains that she wants Michael to return to his camp to free White Henry. We'll let you and Walt go free. Michael demands to see Walt and she agrees, giving him three minutes to talk. Michael is then reunited with his son, Walt informs Michael that they make him do tests, and he cautions Michael that the others are not who they say they are. They make me do multiple choice tests. (laughs) They make me learn. They're pretending. They're putting on the bearded, dirty, and shoeless act. This is awesome. (laughs) Miss Clue threatens Walt (laughs) by telling him that he will be sent to the room if he says anything revealing. And Walt is subsequently taken away after throwing himself at Michael, begging him to save him. Absolutely gutting that Walt, after all they've been through in their relationship, Walt has to make sure he knows that he loves him. He said it a couple times. Yeah. Like, it's clear that both of them don't know if they're ever going to see each other again. Yeah, that scene was really rough. After you release our man, I'm going to need you to do something else. Miss Clue tells Michael that he and Walt will be set free if he brings four people from his own camp to the others. 
She gives him a slip of paper which contains the names of Jack, Kate, Hugo, and Sawyer. She makes sure he understands that it's no more, no less. All four people must come and no one else is permitted to come. That's a difficult mission. <laughs> yeah. Because then he has to come up with stupid excuses yeah. for why Saeed can't come. I don't necessarily think this episode is well done because the thing that makes all of that interesting isn't revealed until 40 minutes in. And so the stakes are so low for the first 40 minutes because there's going to be a mission to rescue Walt. So I don't actually care who goes and who stays home. And yeah, everything that Michael was saying to Hurley seemed out of character and the stuff he was saying to Saeed seemed out of character. And the whole time I was just like, what is this? What's going on? And then it's like five minutes to the end. It's just like, ding, like, there you go. It all made sense. Yeah, but then you go back and you think about it. <laughs> Is that what I'm not doing? Yeah. I'm not You're not enough thinking. Time thinking. Just think harder about it. <laughs> I just thought that there were some, like, really incredible moments in the show, like, or in this episode, like, when Echo and Michael sat down together. I was like, God, yes. I just love when characters... Yeah meet michael agrees to the assignment from miss clue but also demands that he and walt are given the boat in return during the funeral for Libby and anna lucia while the survivors stand around their graves Locke cuts away his splints and starts walking without crutches again i don't like that sawyer is the appointed one grieving her here because they were barely civil to yeah. each other it obviously sucks that echo didn't come but where in the fuck is Bernard? There's no way that those two were on set that day because yeah, Bernard, he would have been there. Bernard is what is twenty five percent of their clique. Like yeah. two of them are dead, and the other two from their group are Echo and Bernard. Oh my god, you're right. And they both didn't come to this. There's so many nameless nobodies who just met these two people. Yeah. When the plane crashed, I was on my way to Los Angeles to bury my dad. I'm sorry to hear that. Seems like such a long time ago now. Saeed lets Jack know that he suspects Michael has been compromised by the others, and they need a new plan while they have the advantage. After saying a few words about Libby, Hurley tells Michael that he is going to come on the expedition, and oh boy is that a relief Yeah, to our guy. And then Sun suddenly spots a boat coming toward the island. That's crazy that, like... He wouldn't have been able to get Hurley to go if he hadn't killed Libby on accident. Yeah. Oh, my God. Wow. What about that scene with Echo and Charlie? That breakup scene? Yeah, where he was like, you're moving out. <laughs> yeah. So sad. That was really sad. Also, I just like, I love reunions on this show. I love anytime someone comes back after being gone for a long time and we get like them walking on the beach and oh, then yeah. ev like the close ups of everybody reunion. seeing them. They're always doing a chore. Uh, they stop doing the chore. Um, That's so true. Okay. How did you feel about the slide, like the title slides that were like 13 days ago? Today, I I was so annoyed. I was like, I find it tiresome. What I didn't understand, the thing that I didn't like about this episode, is that there wasn't anything going on in flashbacks. Like, 
Like, it's not like Michael was, it's not like we were doing the thing with the eyes where, like, we go, like, into a flashback. They should have just done that with the 13 days ago and had that been the flashback portion and structured it the same way they always do. Yeah. That's my two cents. Yeah, I don't, I don't need that. (laughs) I don't need that anymore. That convention. That said... I loved this episode. Okay, well, don't say it while I'm gone. (laughs) I love this episode. Saeed rules. Yeah. That was so fucking cool. He (laughs) really... Everything he did and said. (laughs) But also, not even just the figuring shit out is cool. It's also cool when he's like... When he says shit about parents and children. Wise man. Yeah, man. Oh, the other thing about this episode is I feel like every other scene ended with someone getting knocked out by a gun. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) That pneumatic injector is what we saw Desmond use in his opening sequence. Yes. Oh, what medicine do you have to take every nine days? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like... Dharma knows or believes there to be someone working here that needs regular supply drops of food and they're still under the impression that some illness here poses a threat. Hmm. So what the hell? It's like this show is like not always like realistic. Like, <laughs> like honestly, every nine days. I have a prediction. Hmm. I don't believe that they'll let Walt go for White Henry because he said they wouldn't accept that trade. They already talked about oh, this. Oh, yeah, but and White wait. Henry said, I'll never give you Walt. So I think this clue is lying. What if Henry was lying? He had no reason to lie. He was saying, oh, everything's useless because... It's a lose-lose situation. He was trying to illustrate that it's a lose-lose situation for oh. him. And Jack is like, ooh, well, we can do a trade. And he's like, that's not going to work, stupid. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to die here. I miss White Henry. <laughs> Me too. R.I.P. Ana Lucia. It's been a Christian. You, my friend. Dog that got beaten to death with shovel for biting little girl. <laughs> and R.I.P. Libby. What a weird story. <laughs> yeah, that was so, like, and also, was that not their first conversation? <laughs> oh, wait, no, because they well, were. he was in ditch prison. So yeah. I don't know if they had conversations. Oh yeah, because Echo wasn't talking. Yeah, that's the that's yeah. their first conversation. Because Michael left shortly after they got back. Michael had to unfortunately go shortly after. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's time for one of our classic actor spotlights. Oh, at the end. Okay, this is a Conan interview from 2013. The video is called Blank Got Insanely Jacked by a Serial Killer. In, in your life who saw you when you'd 
you know, uh, walking around in a bathing suit looking like that? Were they concerned for you? Were they, they, they really, uh, well, my daughter at one point walked up to me and oh my God. was about halfway through the process and said, Dad, you, you look really hideous. <laughs> I get that all the time. <laughs> And I took that as a compliment because I knew I was headed in the right direction. I mean, that, that was the idea yes. that I had for the guy, and I knew I was, I was getting there. My mother was absolutely appalled by it. You know, really? My, uh, well, I think Italian most moms mother. just want you to eat, right? Yes, and that's one of her major motivations in life is to feed you, Italian mother. And every time I would see her, she would literally gasp and, and, and ask if, if she could feed me something. Wow. Dang. So when did he play a serial killer? Jacked. Oh, I can't wait to tell you. Okay. <laughs> that role. <laughs> They're talking about the 2012 movie Alex Cross based on the James Patterson series. This film has an 11% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and the screenplay was described as tasteless and lazily written. Whoa. I think my mom reads the Alex Cross books, and I think they take place in Detroit. Oh, yeah. It's a Tyler Perry. I mean, he didn't make it. <laughs> he stars as Alex Cross. Oh, my God. And then you just have, like, Matthew Fox playing, like, a cage fighter or something. Oh, my God. Can't wait to not watch it. <laughs> Matthew Chandler Fox grew up in Wyoming. <laughs> Where his father raised longhorn cattle and horses and Whoa. grew barley for Coors beer. Whoa! He attended Columbia University where he played football and majored in economics with the intent to end up on Wall Street. However, his girlfriend's mother was a modeling agent who convinced him to try modeling, which led to a couple of TV commercials and then, oops, what do you know? I'm an actor. Oh my God. <laughs> I love a girlfriend's mom being like, you're kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, honey, <laughs> I think you're dating like a model. And I should know. <laughs> From 1994 to 2000, he played the role of Charlie Salinger in Party of Five. So that's what he would have been known for when he got cast as Jack. I'm obsessed with this clip from 1997 when he was on the Rosie O'Donnell show promoting Party of Five. This whole thing, this is like a 10-minute fever dream, but this one thing he said really made me laugh. You know my point. I do. I'm totally messing up. Let me just go on the computer. <laughs> Messed up. Are you online? I am. You are? Yeah. Are you on America Online? Uh, no. I have like a... World Wide Web? Uh, web Bullet. Web it's Bullet. It's like a server that I use, but I go on the internet. Check your name out. afterwards, I go on the internet and I check stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> That's so 1997. <laughs> Are you online? <laughs> I am online. I go on the internet. I can't believe I check how stuff old out. these people are. <laughs> it's honestly shocking. That sounds like someone who does not go on the internet. <laughs> During his time on Lost, he appeared in movies such as We Are Marshall, Vantage Point, and Speed Racer. He and his wife, Margarita, have been married since 1992. Wow! I, I didn't know. know that. Good for them. They Good have, for them. They have a daughter, Kyle, and a son, Byron. <laughs> Here are some bile fun facts. <laughs> 
He was watching Lost in the beginning, but he stopped because he didn't think it could positively affect his performance. Yeah, that's probably smart. That's interesting. He loves flying airplanes. Oh. After Lost, the family was living in this super cool home in the mountains in Bend, Oregon, where he was able to fly. He called his hangar his getaway place. He said, this is my sanctuary where I can get away from the world where it's just me, my car, and my plane. (laughs) Just me, my car, and my plane. But they sold that house in 2018, so I don't know where he is now. What's with all the questions? All right. I'm going to rattle off some of these loose ends that we need to tie up. We had some questions about the way Locke maneuvers the engagement ring in season two, episode 17. So I went back to Whoa. see what's up. He first had the ring in its box wrapped in a sock in his sock drawer. The next time we see it is in the kitchen when she's dead ass right behind him and would be able to see it if she happened to turn around. He takes it out of his shirt pocket, no box this time, and wraps it in one of the cloth napkins for the picnic. And he tucks that napkin quite conspicuously into the top part of the picnic basket. There are no other napkins in that compartment. It's Mm. empty. And we don't get to have a picnic proposal, of course. But what do we think about the napkin idea? Like, she's supposed to reach for it and then it falls out onto the blanket? I guess so. She's like, my hands are dirty. And then (laughs) a ring flies away. (laughs) All right, buddy. I think I figured out what's happening in season two, episode 19, when we thought Locke was falling asleep (laughs) when the buzzer gets louder. Yeah. I had to watch it a few times, but I think he might be trying to envision the door with his eyes closed. Like, he's going like... What? Because he's, like, holding up something, and he's going like... But this head like that, it looks like he's nodding off. Yeah. (laughs) Like, really poor choice of a, like, shot. Just, like, do a different take. Yeah, weird. Um, that would be so illogical because the time elapsed is like nine seconds. (laughs) Just like sleep. (laughs) We talked about The Wizard of Oz previously. We didn't know when it takes place. The book takes place in the late 19th century. I tried to figure out when the movie takes place and I couldn't find it anywhere. But I did read something that said it seems like the designers didn't commit to any specific time period. It's just not stated because... There's a lot of anachronisms, and they were just like, we don't care. So I don't think there is a time a time for that. In season two, episode 15, I mentioned the hair shirt custom from Christianity, and the word I was looking for is penance. That's a type of penance, and specifically that falls under the category mortification of the flesh. You can tell by the low scrub grass present at the other's campsite that this was filmed on the southeastern part of Oahu. Who's who's doing this? <laughs> Trivia! I just want to know who's looking at this and being like, ah, scrub grass. <laughs> Honey, look at that scrub grass. <laughs> just what I thought. <laughs> they can't hide from they me. They go to a map. <laughs> Sawyer calls Hurley the damn Great Bape, which is a cartoon character. The show is called the Great Grey Pape Show. And the character is huge and very dumb, from what I read. (laughs) Not surprised. Well, now that the family's all here, all four of us, (laughs) I'm ready to admit that I have not, since we last spoke, 
lock down a man. <gasps> but I have some advice. Oh. McCall's Magazine. Friend, wake up. Oh, my God. Here's how, here's how we're going to do it. <clears throat> Number one, be flexible. If he decides to skip the dance and go rowing on the lake, go. Even if you are wearing your best evening gown. Wait. What kind of man? <laughs> They're going to some sort of fancy formal attire and he's like, you know what? He's like such a manic pixie dream boy. He's like, why don't we just take, take a rowboat out on the lake instead? I want to know exactly who this man is and I want an explanation. <laughs> Hide your Phi Beta Kappa key if you own one. Later on, Junior can play with it. I refuse to look up what that is. What the fuck does that mean? She <laughs> won't care. If he's rich, tell him you like his money. <laughs> <laughs> the honesty will intrigue him, it says. <laughs> I, that's a queen right there. <laughs> Learn to play poker. It's pretty hot. Yeah. Learn where to draw the line, but do it gracefully. I don't like that. Some of these are too loaded. <laughs> I don't want to know what they're referring to. <laughs> Never let him believe your career is more important to you than marriage. Never. Okay. <laughs> Remain innocent, but not ignorant. I don't like what that is suggesting either. Resist the urge to make him over. <laughs> Before marriage, that is. <laughs> I hate that joke structure. <laughs> that is! Exclamation point. <laughs> Turn wolves into husband material by assuming they have honor. <laughs> But you have honor. <laughs> Even wolves have honor. I want to think about that one too hard. Finally, I like to picture that person in the, the in the focus group. In the focus group that came up with this, just being like the one person in the corner, and that's the only thing that they said. They're sitting like this with their fingertips together. Because <laughs> this happened in their own personal experience. And then they howl. <laughs> Even wolves have honor. Finally. Last thing you can try is make your home comfortable when he calls. Large ashtrays. What? <laughs> Comfort. I, I hate that it says he has to bring out comfortable chairs too. Like when it's I just have the you. largest ashtrays. Have you been to Miss Hawthorne's place? <laughs> Check out the ashtrays on that woman. Enormous ashtrays. <laughs> Please have comfortable chairs for you also when you're alone. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I had to check out the user reviews for this one because we had a lot of feelings. There were some varying opinions from IMDb reviewers, but there was somewhat of a consensus that while this episode is another one of those let's go back and see the same events episodes, 
it still does the job of setting up the finale. Mm-hmm. Everybody was raving about the finale of this season, so I've got my little hopes up. Mm. All of our old favorite reviewers are here. Claudio Carvalho refers to Michael as Black Judas. Oh my god. <laughs> and he really hates the idea of Fat Hurley going along instead of Saeed. Oh my god. <laughs> a metaphysical shark says it needs more than a Jacchino score and lots of camera motion to be truly thrilling. Okay. Burn. Jesus. But he still counts this as one of his top 15 episodes of the season. Top 15 of the season? Out of 24. It's essentially meaningless. The thing I love about all these people is how self-important they are. (laughs) It's like the same people leaving a review for all like 100 plus episodes. Like someone is really going to care what they have to say. Dear readers. (laughs) Um, Signing off. (laughs) The little songbird might be as horny for Terry O'Quinn as we are. Really? Yeah, I never thought there could be anyone else. Okay, do you have anyone to vote off? I do. One, two, two, three, Miss Clue. She's creepy. (laughs) She's creepy, and nobody else goes by Mr. or Miss. Everyone goes by their first name. What makes her so special? I chose Charlie because he shot random fluids into his body to try to win brownie points. Yeah. To try to be island father of island baby again. MVP? One, three, two, two, three. One. The Saeed. other white guy. Well, yeah. Who's Saeed, the other white guy? <laughs> the henchman who did all the hard work. The guy oh, who draws yeah. blood so efficiently. Yeah. And like. In that scene where Alex really wanted a moment alone to ask about Claire, he fucking did her job for her. He seems like an all-around stand-up guy. Yeah, he seems really good at his job. Yeah. Great to have around. (laughs) That's it from this side of the house. That's all I got, too. Live together, die alone. Live together, die alone. Follow us on Instagram at you lost me pod, Twitter at you lost me pod, email us at you lost me pod at gmail.com. Bye.